After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awwaz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the Fifth, Ayyadahullahu Ta'ala bin Israhil Aziz stated, Accounts from the life of Hazrat Abu Bakr radiyallahu ta'ala who were being related, and I will continue to narrate them today as well. With regards to the Battle of Hamraul Asad, it is written that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, returned from the Battle of Ahad on a Saturday. And on Sunday, at the time of Fajr, Hazrat Bilal gave the call for prayer and then sat down, waiting for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to come out. In the meantime, Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr bin Auf Muzani came looking for the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came out, he stood up and informed the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that he was coming from his house, and when he was in Malal, the Quraysh had set up a camp there. Malal is the name of a place on the way to Makkah, located at a distance of 28 miles from Medina. Furthermore, he said that he heard Abu Sufyan and his companions say that you all did not achieve anything, you caused them harm, i.e. you harmed the Muslims, and you caused them pain, but then you left them and did not annihilate them. Upon this, the disbelievers responded that there are still numerous prominent individuals among them, i.e. from among the Muslims, who will gather against you. Hence, let us return and annihilate those individuals who are left behind. Safwan bin Umayyah was also sitting amongst the disbelievers and he stopped them from doing so and stated that, O oh my people, you should refrain from doing so as they have already fought you and I fear that those who were previously unable to join the battle will now join them in order to fight against you. And so you should return as victory is yours and I fear that if you return to fight them then you will suffer defeat. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, called for Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar ta'ala and informed them of what this companion Muzani had told them. In reply, both of them submitted, O Prophet of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, let us advance towards the enemy so that they will not be able to attack our children. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had completed the morning prayer, he gathered the people and said to Hazrat Bilal to announce, that the Messenger of Allah is commanding you to advance towards the enemy and only those individuals should set out with us who had joined us in battle the previous day, that is, who were present in the battle of Uhud. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, asked for his flag which had been tied up since the previous day and had not been opened again. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, handed this flag to Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and it is also mentioned that it was given to Hazrat Abu Bakr In any case, when this caravan of Muslims reached Hamraul Asad, which is located at a distance of 8 miles from Medina, 
the idolaters became fearful and abandoning the idea of going to Medina, they instead returned towards Makkah. The battle of Banu Nazir took place in four Hijri. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, accompanied with a small party of companions, went to the people of Banu Nazir. There are different narrations explaining why the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, went to them. According to one narration, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, went to them to collect the blood money of two people who had been killed from the tribe of Banu Amir. Accompanying the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, were ten companions, including Hazrat Abu Bakr, Hazrat Umar and Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhum. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, arrived there and asked for the amount to be paid, the Jews replied that yes, O Abu Qasim, but first you should eat and then we will address the matter you have brought. At the time, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was sitting against a wall and the Jews began to plot and conspire with one another, saying that we will never get a better opportunity for killing this man, i.e. the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And so who among us will climb on top of this house and drop a heavy stone on him, so that we may get rid of him? Upon this, Amr bin Jahash, a chieftain of the Jews, agreed to the plan and stated that I am ready for this task. Immediately, after Salam bin Mishkam, another Jewish chieftain, in disagreement to this plot, stated that under no circumstances should you carry out this act. By God, he, i.e. the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, will surely be informed of what you are plotting. And this is an act of treason because we have made a treaty with them. When the man who was to drop the stone on the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, reached the top of the structure, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was informed of this plot from the heavens. And Allah the Almighty informed him of what the Jews were planning to do. And right away, leaving his companions where they were seated, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stood from his seat and proceeded to depart as though he had another engagement. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, returned to Medina swiftly. And after arriving in Medina, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, sent Hazrat Muhammad bin Masalma to Banu Nadir with a message stating that leave my city, in other words Medina, for you will not be permitted to live in my city, and the plan you made was an act of treason. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave the Jews a period of ten days for this, but they refused and said that they would never leave their homeland. Upon receiving this reply, the Muslims readied for battle, and when the Muslims had gathered, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, departed to face Banu Nazir. The flag for the battle was held by Hazrat Ali. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, besieged their forts, and no one came for their aid. Then the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, mobilized his forces against Banu Nazir. And at the time of Isha, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, returned to his home with ten companions. According to one narration, during that time, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, assigned the command of the Muslim army to Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And whilst according to another narration, this honour was given to Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. On one hand, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, carried out a strict siege. And on the other, Allah the Almighty caused the awe of the Muslims to settle in the hearts of the Jews. Finally, they requested the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to spare their lives and exile them with permission to take as much of their belongings as they could load onto their camels, except for their weapons. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, accepted this request, and according to one narration, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, lay siege for 15 days, while some narrations differ in the number of days mentioned. With the permission of the Ansar, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, distributed all the spoils of war acquired in the Battle of Banu Nazir amongst the Muhajireen. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Bakr addressed the Ansar and stated, O company of Ansar, may Allah grant you the best reward. An incident which took place in four Hijri is the Battle of Badrul Moib. The cause of this expedition is that when Abu Sufyan bin Harb was returning from the Battle of Ahud, 
he said out aloud that next year we shall face one another again at Badrus Sufra and we shall fight them. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, instructed Hazrat Umar anhu to reply that inshallah, if Allah so wills. They all then parted thereafter and when the Quraysh returned they informed their people of this agreement. Badr is a well-known well between Mecca and Medina and situated between the valley of Safra and Jar. Badr is situated 150 kilometers southwest of Medina and in the era of Jahiliyyah, i.e. the era of ignorance prior to the advent of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, a large festival used to take place here from the first of Zulqadah, which lasted for eight days. As the appointed time drew nearer, Abu Sufyan became less and less content to set out against the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and was becoming fearful. He desired not to come up against the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, at this appointed time. Abu Sufyan was making out as though he was preparing a great army to attack, so that the news would reach the people of Medina that he was assembling a large army. Moreover, so that this news may spread amongst the Arabs in order to strike fear into the Muslims. According to one narration, Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar went to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and stated, O Messenger of Allah, Allah will make his religion prevail and grant honour to his Prophet, peace be upon him. We have made a promise to the people and we desire not to break it. Otherwise they, i.e. the disbelievers, shall see it as a sign of cowardice. And so you must go ahead according to the agreement, for by God there is good in this. Hearing these sentiments, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, became overjoyed. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, received this news regarding the army being assembled by Abu Sufyan, he appointed Hazrat Abdullah bin Ravaha as the Amir of Medina in his absence. And according to another narration, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, appointed Abdullah bin Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul as the Amir and gave his flag to Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu as he set off with his companions to Badr. Alongside the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, there were 1,500 Muslims. Along the way, the Muslims took part in some trade at the festival that was taking place and made quite some profit from their business. And after remaining there for eight days, they returned to Medina. The Muslims engaged in trade in that festival with the thought in mind that if the battle was to take place, then so be it. But if it did not, then they could at least do some business there and the Muslims benefited from this a great deal. It is then written that during the Battle of Ahud, Abu Sufyan challenged the Muslims to meet the following year. Further details of this have been recorded by Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmad Sahib He writes that after the Battle of Ahud, whilst returning from the battlefield, Abu Sufyan challenged the Muslims to both parties meeting again the following year at Badr. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, announced his acceptance of this challenge. Hence, the following year, in 4 Hijri, at the end of the month of Shawwal, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, set out from Medina with a force of 1,500 companions and appointed Abdullah bin Abdullah bin Ubay as the Amir in his absence. On the other hand, Abu Sufyan bin Harb also set out from Mecca with an army of the Quraysh consisting of 2,000 men. However, despite the victory at Ahud and a force this large, his heart was fearful and even though he was bent upon the destruction of Islam, he wished not to confront the Muslims until he could gather a larger force. As such, he was still in Mecca when he dispatched a man by the name of Luam, who belonged to a neutral tribe towards Medina and emphatically instructed him that in any way possible he should intimidate and threaten the Muslims and craft fabricated stories to hold them back from setting out for war. And so, this individual came to Medina and crafting full stories of the preparation, strength, zeal and fury of the Quraysh created a state of unrest in Medina. 
This was carried out to such an extent that various people of weaker dispositions began to harbour fear in taking part in the battle. However, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, encouraged the Muslims to go forth. And in his address, he stated that we have already accepted the challenge of the Quraysh and we have promised to set out on this occasion. Therefore, we cannot turn back. Even if I am required to go alone, I shall go and stand firm in the face of the enemy. As a result, the fear of the people was dispelled and they became prepared to set out in the company of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, with great zeal and sincerity. In any case, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, set out from Medina with 1,500 companions and on the opposing end, Abu Sufyan set out from Mecca with his 2,000 men. However, the power of God was such that the Muslims reached Badr according to their promise, but the army of the Quraysh came out to some distance and then retreated to Mecca. The account is that when Abu Sufyan learnt of the failure of Nuam, he became fearful in his heart and after having travelled some distance, he retreated with his army, admonishing them that this year the famine is very severe and people are facing financial difficulty. Therefore, it is not wise to fight them at this time and we shall attack Medina with greater preparation when a time of affluence is at hand. The Muslim army stayed at Badr for eight days and since a festival would take place there every year in the beginning of Zulqadah, which has been mentioned previously, during the festival many companions engaged in trade and were able to generate significant profits. As a matter of fact, in this eight-day business venture, they were able to multiply their initial capital twofold. When the festival came to an end and the army of the Quraysh did not arrive, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, departed from Badr and returned to Medina. The Quraysh returned to Mecca and began to prepare for an attack upon Medina. This Ghazwa is known as the Ghazwa of Badr al-Mu'ayd. Ghazwa Banu Mustalik was a battle which took place in Shaban 5 Hijri and regarding this battle it is stated that another name for Ghazwa Banu Mustalik is Ghazwa Muresi. The Banu Mustalik were a sub-branch of the Khuzar tribe and this tribe lived near a well named Muresi. They lived at a distance of one day's travel from Faro and Faro is approximately 96 miles from Medina. According to Alama ibn Ishaq, Ghazwa banu Mustalik took place in 6 Hijri, whereas according to Musa bin Uqba, it took place in 4 Hijri. And Vaqdi states that this Ghazwa took place in Shaban 5 Hijri. And Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmad Sahib has written that the battle took place in 5 Hijri. In any case, when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, learned that the banu Mustalik were planning to launch an attack on the Muslims, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, marched towards them in Shaban in 5 Hijri with 700 companions. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave the flag of the Muhajireen to Hazrat Abu Bakr and according to another narration, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave the flag of the Muhajireen to Hazrat Ahmad bin Yasir and the flag of the Ansar to Hazrat Saad bin Ubadah. The details regarding the incident of If, i.e. the Great Calumny, are as follows. On the return from Ghazwa Banu Mustalik, the hypocrites levelled a false allegation against Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala the daughter of Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala This incident is known in history as the incident of If, i.e. Calumny, and there is a narration of Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala in Sahih Bukhari. And although I have mentioned this in relation to another companion, However, it is necessary to mention it in connection with Hazrat Abu Bakr as well, and so I will mention it again. The narration from Hazrat Aisha ta'ala is as follows, that it was a custom of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that when he intended to embark on a journey, he used to draw lots amongst his wives. This is mentioned in the narration of Hazrat Aisha ta'ala. She then states that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would take along with him the one on whom the lot fell. On one occasion, before a ghazwa, he drew lots in the same manner and Hazrat Aisha states that the lot fell on me. Thus, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, took me along and this was the time when the injunctions on parda, i.e. the Islamic veil, had already been revealed.
Hence, I would sit in a litter, and it would be placed on the back of a camel, and it would be placed on the ground. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, sat back after having finished from this ghazwa, and we approached near the city of Medina, one night the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, ordered a departure. When I heard this announcement, I left to one side, away from the army. And when I had attended the call of nature and returned to my camel, I touched my neck and found that my asfar, a Yemenite beaded necklace, had been lost. Nonetheless, Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha states that I went back in search of my necklace and was delayed a short while. In the meantime, those who had been appointed to lift my litter and place it on the back of the camel arrived, and assuming that I was in the litter, they lifted it and placed it on the camel. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha relates further that the attendants thought that I was in the litter because in that era women were light in weight and they did not put on weight as they used to eat only a little food. The attendants, therefore, did not suspect that the litter was unusually lighter when they lifted it. Then at the time I was still a young girl and they went ahead with the camel. I found my necklace but the army had left. When I returned to the camp, I did not find anybody there. I then went to the place where I used to stay, but I thought to myself that I should remain at my place, because when people realized that I had been left behind, they would surely return. I sat on my spot and was soon overcome by sleep. Safwan bin Muattal Sulami Zakwani was behind the army, and when he reached my place in the morning, he saw the figure of a sleeping person and came towards me. He had seen me before the order of veiling was prescribed, and I woke up when he recited Inna Lillah, I to Allah we belong. He brought forward his camel and made it kneel close to me, and he turned the foot of the camel and I mounted upon the camel, and Safwan began leading the camel until we finally reached the Muslim army at noon when the army were resting. After this, those who were destined to be ruined, ruined themselves. The key proponent who was responsible for spreading this slander was Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha further relates that we reached Medina and as soon as we arrived I fell ill and this illness lasted for one month wherein people continued their slander. During my illness the only thing that worried me was that I was not receiving the same kindness from Allah's Messenger peace be upon him as I used to receive when I got sick. But now Allah's Messenger would only come and greet me and ask how I was. However, until then, I had absolutely no notion of this calumny, and my illness rendered me very weak and frail. One day, Umar Mista and I went to Manasseh, where we used to answer the call of nature, and we did not go out except at night, and that was before we had lavatories near our homes. In those days, people did not have bathrooms in the home. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha states, that our condition was like that of the old Arabs who would go out to the jungles etc. to attend the call of nature. And so, I and Umm Mista, daughter of Abu Ruham, went out. We were walking when she stumbled over her shawl, and on that she said, that let Mista be ruined. Upon this I stated that what an evil thing you have said. Do you vilify a man who took part in the battle of Badr? On that she said, that O innocent and naive girl, have you not heard what people have been saying? She then told me about the slander of the people of Ifq, and this aggravated my ailment. And when I reached my home, Allah's Messenger, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came to me, and after greeting me, he asked how I was. I replied that, Will you allow me to go to my parents? Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha asked the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, if she could go home to her parents. She states, I wanted to be sure about the news through them, i.e. through her parents. Allah's Messenger, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave me permission, in other words, to go to her parents. And I asked my mother, that, O oh mother, what are the people talking about? Upon this, my mother stated, that, O oh my daughter, do not worry, for scarcely is there a charming woman who is loved by her husband, and whose husband has other wives besides herself, that they, i.e. the women, would find faults with her. Upon this, I stated, Subhanallah, Holy is Allah. Are the people really talking in this way? 
Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha further narrates that I kept on weeping that night till dawn and I could neither stop weeping nor sleep. And when there had been some delay in divine revelation, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, called Hazrat Ali bin Abi Talib and Hazrat Usama bin Zaid the next morning to seek their counsel about separating from me. As for Usama, he said that of what he knew about me. In other words, based on the relationship of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, with Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, and that he knew she was a pious and virtuous woman. And so Hazrat Usama submitted that, O Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, she is your wife, and by God we know nothing but goodness with respect to Aisha. As for Ali bin Abi Talib, he submitted that, O Messenger of Allah, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Allah the Exalted has not put you in difficulty, and there are plenty of women other than Aisha. Nonetheless, inquire of the household maid. Perhaps she knows something and may be able to tell you the actual truth. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, called for Barida and inquired, O Barida, have you ever seen anything in Aisha as may be considered suspicious? Barida responded, that no, I swear by that God who has sent you with the truth, that I have never seen any fault in her, except that on account of her young age, it often happens that she leaves the dough exposed and falls asleep while the goats come and consume it. On the same day, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, delivered an address in the mosque and expressed grief with regards to Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul and stated that, O you Muslims, who will relieve me from that man who has hurt me with his evil statement about my family? By Allah, I know nothing except good about my family. And they have blamed a man about whom I know nothing but good. And he never entered my home except with me. Upon hearing this address of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Saad bin Muad stood up and submitted, O Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, I shall put an end to this. And if this person is from the Aus tribe, we shall sever his head at once. And if he is from our brethren, i.e. from the Khazraj tribe, even still we are prepared to do as you command. Upon this, Saad bin Ubada, chief of the Khazraj tribe, stood up. And though he was a righteous man, at the time he was overcome by indignation of his tribe, and stated that you have spoken a lie, by God you shall not kill him. In other words, the tribes became impassioned, and he stated that nor do you possess the power to do so. Upon this, Usaid bin Hosel stood up and stated that it is you who has lied. By God, we shall surely kill him. You are a hypocrite for you argue on behalf of the hypocrites. This exchange of remarks incensed some from among the Yors and Khazraj and an altercation almost broke out. But the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who was still standing on the pulpit, descended and diffused the situation until they fell silent and so did he. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha further states that the entire day I kept on weeping and my tears never ceased. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anhu had by now become aware of the situation, but she says despite what was going on, she would continue to cry the whole day. She says my tears would not stop nor could I sleep, and my parents came to me, and I remained as such for two whole nights and one day, and I felt as if my liver would burst into pieces. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha further narrates that during this time both my parents were with me and I was sat crying when a woman from the Ansar sought permission to enter and I granted her permission. She came and sat down and began to weep with me in a sympathetic manner. At this the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him arrived and sat down. This was the first day that he had sat down with me since the calumny and a month had elapsed, but no divine revelation had been sent down in my case. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha further states that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, recited the kalima, and then said, O Aisha, I have been informed such and such thing about you. If you are innocent, then I trust that God shall affirm your innocence. And if, however, you have committed a mistake, then you should seek forgiveness from God and bow before Him, because when a person bows before God confessing his sin, then Allah accepts his repentance and shows mercy to him. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had finished his address, my tears had dried away completely and there was completely no sign of them. 
By that time, I looked to my father, Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu, and asked him to respond on my behalf. But he said, My God, I do not know what to say in response to the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. I then asked my mother to respond to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, on my behalf. And she also stated that, By God, I do not know what to say in response to the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him. Hazrat Aisha anha further states that at the time I was a young girl and did not know much of the Qur'an. And I said that by God I am aware that certain things which people have rumoured about me have reached you and you have been affected by these statements and consider them to be true. Therefore, if I advocate my innocence and Allah knows indeed that I am innocent, then you shall doubt me. But if I accept myself as being guilty, despite Allah knowing that I am innocent, and you shall believe me. By God, I find myself in the situation of the father of Yusuf who stated, فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ وَاللَّهُ الْمُسْتَعَانُ عَلَى مَا That is to say, that patience is better for me, and it is Allah alone whose help I seek against what these people assert. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha further states, that upon saying this, I turned to the other side of my bed and at the time I had firm conviction that Allah the Almighty would quickly manifest my innocence. However, by God I did not imagine that a Quranic revelation would be sent down to clear me of the charges. I did not consider myself to be worthy enough to be mentioned in the Quran. I thought that perhaps the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would be shown a vision in his sleep by Allah the Almighty in this regard. However, by God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had not yet left the sitting, and nor had any other person of the household left, when he was overtaken by the intense state which he would experience upon receiving divine revelation. And though it was a cold day, drops of perspiration began to fall from his countenance, and after some time this state left him, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, smiled, and the first thing he said to me was, O Aisha, praise Allah, for He has affirmed your innocence. At this, my mother spontaneously said, that O Aisha, get up and go to the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. At the time I said that by God, I will not go to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and will express my gratitude to Allah alone. It was then that the following verse was revealed, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ جَاءُوا بِالْإِفْكِ أُسْبَطٌ مِنْكُمْ That is, verily, those who brought forth the lie are a party from among you. Hazrat Aisha ta'ala anha further narrates that when my innocence had been affirmed, Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the father of Hazrat Aisha, who would grant regular support to Mistah bin Usasa due to his poverty and kingship, vowed that as Mistah had taken part in slandering me, he would no longer render him this support. However, shortly thereafter, Allah the Almighty revealed, وَلَا يَأْتَلِ أُلُوا الْفَضْلِ مِنْكُمْ وَالسَّعَةِ أَنْ يُؤْتُوا أُلِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْمُحَاجِرِينَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالْيَأْفُوا وَالْيَسْفَحُوا أَلَا تُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ That is, and let not those who possess wealth and plenty among you swear not to give aught to the kindred and to the needy and to those who have left their homes in the cause of Allah. Let them forgive and pass over the offence. Do you not desire that Allah should forgive you? And Allah is most forgiving, merciful. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu stated that indeed, by God, I certainly would like to be granted the forgiveness of Allah. And so Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu reinstated Mr's allowance. Hazrat Aisha anha relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would inquire of Hazrat Zainab bin Tajahsh anha as to her opinion of me. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, once stated, O Zainab, what is your opinion of Aisha? Upon this, 
Hazrat Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha responded that, O Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, I wish to safeguard my ears and eyes, and I consider Aisha to be a pious lady. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha states that this was the same Zainab who competed with me and acted as my rival. However, due to her virtue, Allah the Exalted saved her from taking part in this calumny. This has been taken from a detailed narration of Sahih Bukhari. The Promised Messiah states that just as God Almighty has made it an integral part of His own noble attributes to avert prophecies of warning on the basis of repentance, seeking forgiveness, prayer and charity, so did He teach the same morals to man as is evidenced by the Holy Qur'an and the Hadith. When, out of sheer maliciousness, the hypocrites had perpetrated a calumny against Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, some unwary companions had also joined in this narrative. One of those companions used to get his meal twice a day from the home of Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him. And due to this lapse, Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu pledged that he would never again feed him as punishment for this misdeed. Whereupon the verse was revealed, وَالْيَعْفُ وَالْيَسْفَهُ أَلَا تُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ That is, let them forgive and forbear. Do you not desire that Allah should forgive you? And Allah is most forgiving, merciful. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Bakr ta'ala anhu broke his pledge and restored his meals as usual. It is for this reason that it is part of Islamic morality that should one pledge something by way of punishment, the breaking of that pledge is a component of good morals. For instance, if someone swears that with regards to his servant, he shall strike him fifty times with a shoe, to forgive him on account of his repentance and earnest supplication is the Islamic custom, so that the khalluq bi ikhlaqillah, i.e. morality, mirror the attributes of Allah. Nevertheless, it is not permissible to break a promise, for one will be held accountable for the breach of promise, but not for breaking the pledge of chastisement. However, this is a separate subject matter regarding the difference between a promise and a pledge of chastisement, and this has been explained previously as well. Next is mention of the Battle of Ahzab, which took place on 5 Hijri. This was the third major battle between the Quraysh of Mecca and the Muslims, and is also known as the Battle of Khandaq. This took place in the month of Shawal in 5 Hijri. Since the Quraysh and the Jews from Khaybar and various other tribes had all come together in order to attack Medina, therefore this battle is known as the Battle of Ahzab in the Holy Qur'an. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exiled the Banu Nazir, a tribe of the Jews, and so they went towards Khaybar. A few men from among their elders and well-respected people went to Mecca, and they gathered the Quraysh and incited them to fight against the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. They formed a pact with the Quraysh, and they all agreed upon fighting against the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and they also fixed a date for this. These men from the Banu Nazir then left the Quraysh and went to the tribes of Ghatfan and Sulaim and entered into a similar pact with them and then departed from them. The Quraysh made preparations and also gathered various other tribes as well as those Arabs who were their confederates, totaling 4,000. Abu Sufyan bin Harb was their commander and along the way various other tribes also joined with them and the total number of people in the army was 10,000. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was informed of their departure from Mecca and so he gathered his companions and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, informed them of the enemy's plan and sought counsel from them. Hazrat Salman Farsi presented the suggestion of digging a ditch which was liked by all the Muslims. In the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the north of Medina was an open plain, whilst all other sides had houses and orchards through which the enemy could not get through. And so, it was decided to dig a ditch towards the north of Medina in order to protect the city. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, along with 3,000 Muslims, started to dig the ditch. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was digging the ditch alongside the other Muslims, so that his participation would raise their spirits and courage. The entire ditch was dug in six days and this ditch was approximately 6,000 yards or three and a half miles long. Hazrat Abu Bakr remained alongside the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And whilst digging the ditch, Hazrat Abu Bakr would carry the sand in his clothes 
and he would work alongside the other companions in digging the ditch so that this task could be quickly completed within the period of time designated for this. No Muslim remained behind in helping to dig the ditch. And when Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar anhuma could not find any baskets to carry the sand, they would place it in their clothes. They both remained together at all times. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, worked extremely hard during the digging of the ditch. Sometimes he would be digging with a pickaxe, or he would gather the sand with a shovel, or then carry the baskets of sand. One day the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, became extremely tired and sat down and rested against a rock on his left side. During this time the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, fell asleep, and Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar stood near the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and would stop people from walking past him, lest they wake him up. When the 10,000 strong army of the Quraysh and their allies surrounded Medina, Hazrat Abu Bakr was commanding one faction of the Muslim army. Later, the area where Hazrat Abu Bakr was commanding the army, a mosque was built there and is known as Masjid Siddiq. I will continue narrating these accounts in the future sermons, inshallah. At this time, I wish to mention some deceased members. The first is of respected Mubarakah Begum Saiba, who is the wife of Mukhtar Ahmad Gondal Saib, and she passed away on the 11th January at the age of 93. Inna lillahi wa inna Verily to Allah we belong, and to Him shall we return. She was the daughter-in-law of Chaudhary Ghulam Muhammad Gondal Saib, a companion of the Promised Messiah, she served the Jamaat with great passion, and she also served as the Sadr Lajna for her village, Chak 99 South. She was regular in offering prayers and keeping fast. She was virtuous, attended to the poor, and was very sincere. Throughout her life, she taught the Holy Quran to both children and adults. She was a Musia and is survived by five sons and three daughters. One of her sons is Iftikhar Ahmad Gondal Sahib, who is serving as a missionary in Sierra Leone. And another missionary, Fawad Ahmed, was her grandson. Aside from this, she has various other grandchildren who are missionaries or life devotees. May Allah the Almighty grant her his forgiveness and mercy and accept her prayers in favour of her progeny. The next mention is of Mir Abdul Wahid Sahib who passed away in the night between 12th and 13th January. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was 58 years of age and Ahmadiyyat was established in his family through his great paternal grandfather, Mir Ahmad Din Saib, who accepted Ahmadiyyat during the time of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih I radiallahu ta'ala anhu in 1911. He was the only Ahmadi in his family. Similarly, from his maternal side, Ahmadiyyat was introduced through his maternal grandfather, Sheikh Allah Baksh Saib of Banu. Abdul Wahid Saib's paternal grandfather was Abdul Karim Saib and he had a passion for tabligh which is why his grandfather was commonly known by the name Molvi Abdul Karim in Peshawar. He did a lot of personal study and had made his own library. And in 1974, when a delegation went before the assembly under the leadership of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih III, certain rare books that were needed were found in his library. This is according to his brother-in-law's account. On 9th September 2020, a false charge of blasphemy was made under 295C against Mir Abdul Wahid's family, as a result of which clerics and other people lay siege to their home. However, the police was able to remove him and his family from that situation and took them to Rawalpindi. A few days later, their home in Rawalpindi was raided at night and the police arrested his son Abdul Majid Sahib Allah the Almighty bestowed Mir Abdul Wahid Sahib with two sons and a daughter. One of his sons, Abdul Majid Sahib, who I just mentioned, is still a prisoner in the way of Allah and was in jail when his father passed away and could not attend the funeral. May Allah the Almighty grant the deceased his forgiveness and mercy and grant his family patience. His son, who is imprisoned, is around 20 years old 
May Allah the Almighty create the means for his quick release. The third mention is of respected Sayyid Bakar Ahmed Sahib from USA, who passed away on 17th January at the age of 58 due to a heart attack. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Bakar Ahmed Khan's wife is the great-granddaughter of Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, i.e.s maternal grandson's daughter, and is the daughter of Hazrat Mirza Sharif Ahmed Sahib radiyallahu ta'ala anhu's paternal granddaughter. In this way, she is part of the family of the Promised Messiah alayhi salatu wasalam, and Shah Sahib married into this family. His wife Shazia Khan says that Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV rahimahullah, encouraged me to pray with regards to the matrimonial match. And she says that after praying, when I agreed, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV rahimahullah, then approved of the match. In other words, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih Rabi rahimahullah, settled this matrimonial match. She further writes that in 33 years of marriage, Bakar Sahib guided me along with him in every step. He tended to every one of my needs and desires. He was an exemplary father. He never did anything for himself and was a simple person. She writes that he had no desire of his own and even if he did, he sacrificed them for the sake of his family. She further states that the most beautiful day for me was when he proudly said to someone and when he goes to the mosque, he repeats his oath and that there was nothing more important to him than fulfilling this oath. He stated that he could sacrifice everything for this oath. These were not mere claims. In fact, I myself have seen and know that even when faced with an extremely difficult trial, he safeguarded this oath of giving precedence to faith over worldly matters and continued to fulfill it, irrespective of any ties of relationship. He never ventured outside the obedience of Khilafat. His wife further states that even if he did not understand something, he would still remain obedient and would say that it is our duty to be obedient. His disposition was filled with gratitude and he would always advise me to do the same. He never showed any negligence in offering financial sacrifices. His son, Sayyid Adil Ahmed, who is now a missionary after graduating from Jamia Ahmadiyya, Canada and obtaining his Shahid degree, states that by the grace of Allah the Almighty, my father was a simple and sincere person. He was less concerned about himself and would always fulfill the needs of all his children and our mother. He would never get anything nice for himself. In fact, we would often have to remind him to spend on his own needs as well. He had a great deal of respect for missionaries and the nizam e jamaat His father-in-law, Mahmoud Ahmed Khan Sahib, who is the maternal grandson of Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib anhu, and the paternal grandson of Hazrat Nawab Mubarakah Begum Sahib anha, writes that Vakar, i.e. his son-in-law, possessed high morals and was very hospitable. He further states that I never saw a frown on his face, no matter how many guests came to visit him, or even in time of difficulty. He further states that I remember in the beginning, he would often scold his son Adil because of his carelessness. But when Adil devoted his life, Vakar's demeanour towards him completely changed, and he developed a very close bond of respect and honour with his son. Munir Ahmed Sahib, the former Amir of the Jamaat in Abu Dhabi, writes that Bakar Sahib lived in Abu Dhabi along with his family while he worked there, during which time he developed close family ties with him. He 
He states that he was a banker by profession and simplicity and sociability were his salient qualities. He was strongly attached to the community and its nizam and he possessed profound love and obedience for Khilafat. He further states that until he moved to America, he would happily offer his home for any Jamaat needs which would be used for the Friday prayers and other gatherings. He also served as the internal auditor of the Jamaat. Similarly, Sayyid Hashim Akbar writes that I had the opportunity of working with him and always found him to be sociable and brimming with enthusiasm to help others. May Allah the Almighty grant him his forgiveness and mercy and may he enable his children to be virtuous and accept his prayers in their favour. After the prayers, I will offer the funeral prayers, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, 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 وَنُؤْمِنُ بِهِ وَنَتَوَكَّلُ عَلَيْهِ وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شُرُورِ أَنفُسِنَا وَمِنْ سَيِّئَاتِ أَعْمَالِنَا مَنْ يَعْدِهِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ وَمَنْ يُضْلِلْهُ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَنَشْهَدُ أَنَّ